And now, proper propaganda. Watch it. Pull my mic back. You like that? Journalists with journalists too. We can strike back. Hardcore reporters with orders from headquarters. Behind enemy lines, sidestepping the borders. If you're just tuning in to Civic Cypher, I'm your host, Ramses Ja. I happily and humbly go by the name of Q Ward. Yes, indeed. And uh, please stick around because we got a lot more show coming your way. Um, we are going to talk about what I believe to be some good news. You don't always get to talk about that. But um, the uh, Emmett Till Anti-Lynching Act of 2022 has now passed uh, the House of Representatives and the Senate with a unanimous vote. Um, and that's not nothing. Also, um, stick around because we're going to speak more about the woman we're about to talk about, Mary McLeod Bethune. Um, but first and foremost, let's talk about her just a little bit. Um, I'll give you the deep dive a little bit later as a, as a bonus, but we're going to talk about her a little bit because it's time to do our Baba segment to become a better ally. This comes from thegrio.com. One of, one of Black America's most prominent female figures in the movement for civil rights will be honored this month with a statue placed in the United States Capitol Building's Sanctuary Hall. An 11-foot statue of Mary McLeod Bethune will soon be installed in the National, National Statuary Hall collection, meant to represent the state of Florida, according to the Washington Post. Bethune will be the first Black American to specifically represent any state among the collection of statues. Each state is given the opportunity to display two statues of prominent citizens in the hall, and Bethune's will replace one of Confederate General Edmund Kirby Smith, there since 1922. That is why I wanted to talk about that, because you remember, uh, it might have been closer to two years ago now, um, everybody was yanking down their statues and throwing them in the river. I remember I came across something on Instagram that said, uh, remember, racists don't have to be statues in order for you to throw them in the river. I thought that was the illest thing I ever read. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but anyway, I mean, you know, it says a lot about our country, yeah. right? That whiteness is such a powerful and, and embedded piece of or, or state of mind mm. that generals and soldiers and people who are for the army who tried to like it's even weird to say it there was an army fighting against our country and they our country <laughs> honors the generals of that army that we beat still like this statue is going to replace a confederate general who has a statue in our nation's capital that doesn't make any sense man listen so um you might not know the name mary mcleod bethune but you will stick around for our way black history fact because we are definitely going to talk about her but yeah shout out to um the uh shoot what's the name the national statue Stat statuary hall collection um and the United States Capitol building for becoming a better ally. We'll take it. All right. The Emmett Till Anti-Lynching Act of 2022. First things first, let's talk about Emmett Till. 
We talked about him on the show before because we've had to. It makes all the sense in the world. This is a show for him. Emmett Till lived. He's a forever 14-year-old. Um, uh, he was born July 25th, 1941, and his last day was August 28th, 1955. He was a 14-year-old African-American who was lynched in Mississippi in 1955 after being accused of offending a white woman in her family's grocery store. The brutality of his murder and the fact that his killers were acquitted drew attention to the long history of violent persecution of African-Americans in the United States till posthumously became an icon of the civil rights movement. Now, that is just one brief paragraph um, from Wikipedia about Emmett Till. I want to call him a man because he's my elder, but he didn't live past 14. So he was very much a boy. Um, forgive us if you've heard this before, but we have to kind of make this breathe a little bit. Um, he goes into the store. He's visiting from Chicago, I believe, right? Um, goes down to Mississippi to visit some of his family. Goes into a store in Mississippi. The store is owned by a white family. He sees the girl in the store who's a member of the white family that owns the store. And he does like a sort of a whistle, like a, like a, a, a whistle that shows sort of romantic interest. I, I don't know what it's called, but it's like a, I don't want to try to whistle on the radio because <laughs> I'll get it wrong. But anyway, he does a little whistle and he says something like, you know, bye, baby, something like that, right? Um, and then it might have been the next day or later that night, um, a group of men break into his house. You know exactly where to find him, break into his house, snatch him out of the bed, and he was never seen alive again by his family. Um, they beat him, of course. I believe they dragged his body and they like dumped him in a river. Um, and the reason that this became, because, you know, black people were getting killed a lot. I'm not much has changed, but you know, um, the reason that his story got national attention is because how grotesque his body looked after the murder and his mother decided to have an open casket funeral. Right. And so all the photographers and the cameras were there. If you Google it, if you are, you know, trigger warning, because obviously it's a, a dead person, person, had a lot of promise in his life. Um, you can see what that open casket funeral looked like. And those images were shared everywhere. And that was what started, that's what put the gasoline on the civil rights movement. And that's what let, you know, our forefathers on this fight um, show the world, look what they're doing to us. Look what they're doing to our babies. And they are not held accountable for it. They can just do this and everybody's okay with it, right? Later, those guys actually admitted, yeah, that's what they did, you know? And, and the woman uh, on her deathbed, I believe, um, if Dave Chappelle is right, because I remember him talking about it. Go ahead, tell me. She's not dead, I, I don't believe. She's not? Okay. But I, I remember him double, saying I something have to like- double check. But even, but even if it was- she lived so many more years than him. Right. But she admitted that she made up the stories no, no, no. that she ended up telling them. 
And that's what I'm saying. Yeah. She, after living five lifetimes of what he lived, finally lets us all know that yeah. she made it all up. Right. Right. Now. And that her conscience allowed her to know that as truth and carry it for decades. And it finally caught up to her at, on the, at the tail end of her life. Huh. So. Um, you know, and, and this isn't doom and gloom. This is kind of the happy part of the show. But, you know, a lot of times the depths of sadness is, you know, a great springboard to you know, a happier day. You know? And we don't want to forget this man's sacrifice. But, uh, you know, Dave Chappelle, again, he's a person that one of his stand ups, he kind of goes into detail about this. And I remember it vividly because that's right up my alley, obviously. Um, I love this. Well, I don't love this stuff, but I'm you know, we're, Q and I, we shared it on the show before, but we're the, the sons of ministers. Um, and a lot of times in the black community, the minister is the person who is the keeper of not just the faith, but the culture. And so being in an environment where there's a, a person who is kind of that keeper, we get a heavy dose of our black history. Um, so, yeah. 88 uh, years old, by the way. Oh, she's still alive? How about that? Well, he's, Dave Chappelle said that um, that lie, as, as egregious as it is, might have been the thing necessary to change the course of this country. Because had she not told that lie, had Emmett not been killed had his mom not been a gangster and leave that coffin open at the funeral to show the world what they did to her baby had those pictures not gotten taken you know that civil rights movement that did move us forward um as citizens in this country all of us white people included white women included you know we're all here together it's easier to to love each other than it is to fight we're going to have happier lives. I promise that. Don't let them divide us. <laughs> anyway, had she not told that lie, we might not have been able to take that step as soon as we did. You know, now, the reason I wanted to tell you that is because this anti-lynching act of 2022 is named after Emmett Till, right? Those 14 years of his life are still affecting us right now. Again, his last day was August 28th, 1955. And this bill is passed this year in 2022. So that's not nothing. You know, I, I know that everyone wants to live a, a full, long life. But I think a lot of people want a life that matters, that causes something special to come about, you know, some sort of legacy, you know, that sort of thing. And them naming this bill after him. Um, contributes to that legacy. You don't want to just be the person who is known for dying, you know, and unfortunately that's true here, but now his name will stand for rather more. Um, same with George Floyd. You know, nobody wants to, you know, people want to live, man, but, you know, you're going to die, hopefully it counts for something. Um, he obviously did not die a good death, but it was a meaningful one as, as it ended up turning out. Unfortunately, he didn't get to experience that. But I'll read this. This comes from CNN. Uh, the Senate passed the Emmett Till Anti-Lynching Act of 2022 on Monday night by unanimous consent. The bill 
which would have made which would make lynching a federal hate crime now hits to President Joe Biden's desk for a signature. The legislation was approved by the House of Representatives last week by a vote of 422 to three. It means only three people voted against it. Um, three people voted against it. Though. We don't have to focus on them. My I know. Goodness gracious, man. But how about this? 422 people voted for it. Let's let's focus on them because, you know, just, we know that there's crazy people and out like out loud racist people and, you know, the people that love lynching. I'm sure there's a few of those in there as well. You know, everybody gets sent or uh, Congress men and women, you know, Bucksaw, Mississippi and, you know, uh, Bucksnort, uh, Tennessee. I've actually been to Bucksnort. Shout out to Bucksnort and the Waffle House. They were kind to me there. And it looks and sounds exactly like you think. But yeah, Bucksnort, Tennessee. Um, but yeah, there's places all over the place and they can elect these people. But the Senate uh, it was unanimous. Um, passage of the bill. This one might kind of trigger you a bit. But passage of the bill is a long sought goal of advocates who have been working for years to secure its approval in Congress. Um, so, yeah, you know, we, we, we know that sometimes our fights are a little bit harder than they should be. We know that we are denied our humanity uh, often, certainly more often than our less melanated brothers and sisters. We got to fight to make lynching a hate crime. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But. You know, oh, we're, man. Hey, man, we're playing the game on hard mode. You know what I mean? That, you know, and greater is the reward when you oh, reach the finish line. And man. if there is a God and he says, well done, my, my brother, the eternal optimist. Hopefully it's something a little bit more special. I, you know, I have to be, man. That's my role here, man. You got to keep it real. I got to I get to keep my head above the clouds. Man. So thank you for allowing me that. Um, all right. I'll continue. Buckle up, Q. After more than 200 failed attempts to outlaw lynching, <laughs> Congress is finally succeeding. Greatest country in the world. <laughs> Congress is finally succeeding in taking the long overdue action by passing the Emmett Till Anti-Lynching Act. Hallelujah, it's long overdue, said Majority Leader Chuck Schumer in remarks on the Senate floor after the bill's passage. Um, that... It took so long to pass is a, quote, bitter stain, end quote, on America, the New York Democrat added. <sighs> the first anti-lynching legislation was introduced a century ago, and after so long, the Senate has now finally addressed one of the most shameful elements of this nation's past by making lynching a federal hate crime, he said. Now. The first anti-lynching legislation was introduced when? That said a century ago. You can have that one, Q. Does a century mean 100 years, Rams? 100 years, Q. <laughs> and they, there was 200 failed attempts in that time. So, yeah. Um, but, you know, they owned it. It's, it's long overdue. It's a stain on our country. On and on. They, they owned it. And well, Did they own it, though? The person saying that was somebody that was for it. If he's speaking for the majority, which he is the majority leader, then I call that the they. The majority is the majority. And as you know, 51%, that's the majority. So, um, but I think the point here is also, um, or I think rather, not, I don't want to say the point. I think there might be a catalyst here. And I don't want to cast any shadow over this. This is obviously a, a huge deal. And for the people that fought for this, 
and dedicated their lives to getting this across the finish line that passed away and didn't get to see it make its way to the light, which I, at the time that we're doing this show hasn't quite made it there yet, but all it takes is Biden's signature and everyone knows that he's going to sign it. Um, for all those people, I think it's something special, but I do have to say, just because I have to say it, I have a sneaking suspicion that the reason that now it is getting the sort of unanimous vote and the overwhelming numbers and the overwhelming amount of support, I think it has more to do with the unfortunate crimes that have been committed against mine and your Asian American and Pacific Islander brothers and sisters over the past couple of years than it has to do with Emmett Till himself or those types of crimes um, against what I'm saying is crimes against black people have never really resonated in the way that black people would have hoped. This is part of the reason why we have to say our lives matter. They matter to us if no one else, you know, but I think that, um, you know, because of the uh, mistreatment of our AAPI brothers and sisters, that this has kind of been given a new, um, renewed interest. And there's been some invigorated, uh, impassioned um, momentum behind it. And that's all well and good, you know, because we stand in solidarity with our AAPI brothers and sisters. We do it literally on the show and out in the streets. You know, and if that's what it takes to get us all to the finish line, then so be it. Sometimes we got to carry them to the finish line, you know, and maybe this time that's that's how we got it there. But the point is, we got there. It just feels like, you know, in the first half of the show, in case you missed it, um, we were talking about very much how it feels to be black and how these little tiny things that by themselves are easily overlooked um they they tend to add up to rather more they tend to add up to shoot we need to affirm the value of our lives that our consciousness should matter that we have we we are entitled to dignity and we are entitled to live full long happy lives and i, I this is just a kind of a random thing but i've been saying it a lot lately i've read it and i've been sharing it with my friends um, I'm saying this because I do believe it's important that we're happy too. Our, we weren't just born to fight and struggle and try to overcome. He sh we shall overcome, you know, none of that. We should be able to be happy too. And uh, so I'll say it. Uh, black joy is a radical act. Um. It's crazy to think about it, but just being happy and black at the same time is something that will catch a lot of people's attention. Like, what are they so happy for? They must be up to something. What did they do? You know, have you ever gone for a run? <laughs> How about that? I know you have, too. I'm just being funny. I'm picking on you. How about that? Yeah. So, um, all right, let's, uh, let's talk about the actual... Um, uh, law, I, I guess I'm, I'm clearly not a law person, but I'll just read it best way I know how. All right. So section 249A of title 18 United States code is amended 
by adding at the end the following. Number five, lynching. Whoever conspires to commit any offense under paragraph one, two, or three shall, if death or serious bodily injury, as defined in section 2246 of this title, results from the offense, be imprisoned for not more than 30 years, find in accordance with this title or both, right? The point is that it's now law, right? Uh, and then number six, other conspiracies. Whoever conspires to commit any offense under paragraph one, two, or three shall, if death or serious bodily injury, as defined in section 2246 of this title, results from the offense, or if the offense includes kidnapping or an attempt to kidnap, aggravated sexual abuse, or an attempt to commit aggravated sexual abuse, or an attempt to kill, be imprisoned for not more than 30 years, find in accordance with this title, or both. So both of those. Um, and pending that signature, it will be law. That I hope we're going to get. Uh, it, that, that is all but assured. Um, what we really need to focus on now is the uh, John R. Lewis Voting Rights Act, because that is a separate way that we could ultimately become disenfranchised from participating fully in our um, democracy. So that's next, but you know, there's a lot more issues there. And I don't, I don't mean for this to sound the way that it does, but perhaps there are less of my AAPI brothers and sisters that are affected by that. Or, you know, that we don't have an, a real big ally outside of just the people who clearly see it, you know, but there's no, you know what, let me say it this way. The Republicans, because that's really where the opposition lies, are very much in opposition to it because it represents a loss of power, right? And I wish that we had the same type of capacity to collaborate with, like I said, our AAPI brothers and sisters or, you know, some, some other group that was affected by this in the same way and that we could have the strength collectively to offset the opposition, but we're still working on it and we will continue to do so. Um, and we really need to, fight back against this critical race theory, which is unfortunately wrongly used interchangeably with American history. Because when they say they don't want to teach critical race theory, what they're actually doing is removing American history from the schools. And um, they've used critical race theory to kind of blanket over American history and remove American history the schools because effectively anything that has to do with race that makes anybody feel a little bit bad um, now qualifies as you know whatever and they've demonized the term and so anyway those are the next things that we need to work on we need to educate our youth so that they know better we need to those are going to be that they don't grow up in fear we need to get our voting rights secured but for now we do have an anti-lynching bill on the books and, you know, I say it all the time, but mostly because it's true and I mean it, that's not nothing. 
So Emmett Till, baby boy, you know, thank you very much for your life and I guess your sacrifice. And, you know, now there's, there's a rule on the federal books to ensure that if somebody does something, you know, your, your name is going to live on in, in the name of justice now, instead of just being someone who lived and died. Now, let's circle back to Mary McLeod Bethune. Um, this is Women's History Month, right? Yes, it is. And shout out to our sisters, our actual sisters, mm. uh, the sisters that we grew up and chose, mm. uh, the mothers of our children, mm. uh, and, and just women in general for being the superheroes that we are, or that they are, I'm sorry. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and it's fitting that we're having this conversation uh, or we're ra rather breathing some life with our Way Black History Fact into Mary McLeod Bethune. Now, um, for those that listen to our Baba segment, Become a Better Ally, um, her statue is going into uh, the congressional building and it's replacing some Confederate general. I hope they throw him in the river. Um, and uh, we didn't get to tell you fully who she was, but we're going to spend a little bit of time bringing her to life because that may not be a name that you know. Um, again, we make a, a black show for non-black people. So the assumption here is that we're sharing some new information with you. But if not, it's always great to have a refresher. Obviously, this is a way black history fact. So we like to make these names live a little bit more if we can. Um, this comes from womenshistory.org and I will read. The daughter of former slaves, Mary Jane McLeod Bethune became one of the most important black educators, civil and women's rights leaders and government officials of the 20th century. The college she founded set educational standards for today's black colleges and her role as an advisor to President Franklin Delano Roosevelt gave African-Americans an advocate in government. Born on July 10th, 1875 near Maysville, South Carolina, Bethune was one of the last of Samuel and Pasty McLeod's 17 children. Dang. After the Civil War, her mother worked for her former owner until she could buy the land on which the family grew cotton. By age nine, Bethune could pick 250 pounds of cotton a day. Bethune benefited from efforts to educate African-Americans after the war, graduating in 1894 from the Scotia Seminary, a boarding school in North Carolina, Bethune next attended Dwight Moody's Institute for Home and Foreign Missions in Chicago, Illinois. But with no church willing to sponsor her as a missionary, Bethune became an educator. While teaching in South Carolina, she married fellow teacher Albertus Bethune, with whom she had a son in 1899. The Bethunes moved to Palatka, Florida, where Mary worked at the Presbyterian Church and also sold insurance. In 1904, her marriage ended and determined to support her son, Bethune opened a boarding school, the Daytona Beach Literary and Industrial School for Training Negro Girls. Eventually, Bethune's school became a college, merging with the all-male Cookman Institute to form Bethune-Cookman College in 1929. It issued its first degrees in 1943. A champion of racial and gender equality, Bethune founded many organizations and led voter registration drives after women gained the vote in 1920, risking racist attacks. In 1924, she was elected president of the National Association of Colored Women's Clubs, and in 1935, she became the founding president of the National Council of Negro Women. 
Bethune also played a role in the transition of black voters from the Republican Party, the party of Lincoln, to the Democratic Party during the Great Depression. A friend of Eleanor Roosevelt in 1936, Bethune became the highest ranking African-American woman in government when President Franklin Roosevelt named her the Director of Negro Affairs and of the National Youth Administration, where she remained until 1944. She was also a leader of FDR's unofficial Black Cabinet. In 1937, Bethune organized a conference on the problems of the Negro and Negro youth and fought to end discrimination and lynching. In 1940, she became Vice President of the National Association for the Advancement of Colored Persons, NAACP a position she held for the rest of her life. As a member of the advisory board that in 1942 created the Women's Army Corps, Bethune ensured it was racially integrated. Appointed by President Harry S. Truman, Bethune was the only woman of color at the founding conference of the United Nations in 1945. She regularly wrote for leading African-American newspapers, the Pittsburgh Courier, and the Chicago Defender. And finally, Additionally, Bethune was a businesswoman who co-owned a Daytona, Florida resort and co-founded the Central Life Insurance Company of Tampa. Honored with many awards, Bethune's life was celebrated with a memorial statue in Washington, D.C. in 1974, a postage stamp in 1985, and her final residence is a national historic site. And of course, more recently, she got a statue, an 11-foot tall statue. Um, let me say it again. Uh, Yes, 11-foot stall statue in the National Statuary Hall Collection, which is meant to represent the state of Florida, which she spent a good amount of time. So that is, I'm, you know what? I'm glad that we got to do that um, for, for Women's History Month, too. You know, um, She was quite remarkable. Oh, yeah, beast, beast mode. Right. Like that wasn't just exceptional black history you just read. That's exceptional history. Period. Yes. Uh, an incredible scholar, an incredible worker, uh, and and able to get into rooms that were kind of designed to keep us out. I'm I'm blown away hearing the things that I knew, but more so the things that I didn't. So I just learned some new things today myself. Yeah, you know the thing is um, how it mentioned that she was um, working with the. Uh, the voter registration drives um, after women gain the right to vote uh, and risking racist attacks. Um, that was a big deal. I remember reading about that probably my first year of college. And then a, a black woman being appointed by two separate presidents. presidents. Yeah. When they wasn't rocking with us back back in the early 1900s. So not just to be black, but a black woman appointed by two different presidents. That's, those are major, major accomplishments, man. Well, I, I don't, I probably shouldn't say it, but I, if I remember correctly, it was black women who were the last human in this country that were given the right to vote. So everyone else had the right to vote before black women. And so to know that yeah. she was out there registering when the, you know, the women's rights to vote had just gotten passed. Yeah. Um, My mother she came of voting age. She couldn't. Yeah. So then it's that recent, right? When my mom, not my great grandmother, not, you know, when my mom reached voting age, she couldn't. 
about that? I, I, I remember you said that to me when we were, um, I think we were in Macon or somewhere in Georgia on our way up to Atlanta. So that's, uh, that's also some way black history for you. Um, but I think we're going to leave it right there. So once again, I'd like to thank you for uh, tuning in to Civic Cipher. I'm your host, Ramses Ja. I go by the name Q Ward. Yes, indeed. Um, do us a favor. Be sure to hit the website, civiccipher.com. Download this and any previous episodes you may have missed. Get caught up to speed. You can also uh, shoot us questions, topics, anything that you want to talk about, anything that we can help with. Let us know. This is your show, too. Um, make a donation. As always, the, the donations help the show grow. The show is growing. Uh, follow us on all social media at Civic Cipher. And until next week, y'all. Peace. Stepping the borders with press passes, we bring it to you as it happens. The streets love my crew for music and rapping. Street commander slash beat expander, here to fight the slander with the proper propaganda. What's happening? You got a question, then ask it. The news is just a TV show. Get past it. And this from a quiet wartime journalist headlines. Wake up, refuse, and resist. Like this, like this, like this, like this. We kick finance, action, and score.